Look, I'm very, very fortunate to be able to live a dream of mine that I've had since I was literally six. All I've wanted to do is, is drive a VS supercar. So I look at it on one aspect and I go, you know, even if I just retired or couldn't find sponsors tomorrow and I stopped racing tomorrow, as much as that would suck, I got to do all of this really cool stuff. You've tuned into Perth Reconnect. Uh, we're in the Beyond Rest Chill Out space. I'm your host, Ben Dunnan. With me, as per usual, is my co-host, Matt Pooch. How you doing? I'm good. How are you, Ben? Good, man. Good. And our special guest today is a V8 Supercars driver, Adam Marjoram. How you doing? Hey, very well. Thank you for having me here. Oh, appreciate you being here, man. i got to ask, uh, Marjoram, Marjoram... Margarine. Oh, look, I've had every flavour. I really have. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I was racing go-karts, they couldn't pronounce my last name in commentary, so they just called me the Flying Herb from WA. <laughs> the Flying Herb. The Flying Herb. Because oh, margarine's herb. a herb. Margarine's oh, yeah. a herb. It is. It's actually a herb. Yeah. I didn't know that. You learn something new every day. I was just talking <laughs> about uh, Josh Kennedy before and how his second child is called Sage, and I was always asking him, how's your, you know, your new favourite herb going? Uh, the the response wasn't great, but <laughs> <laughs> so the the flying herb marjoram is a herb. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, great on lamb, and of course I'm going to know but, this, but it's really good. You can buy it at Woolies, so it technically means that I'm in every household or most households. Obviously not your household name. Yeah, I'm a household name. Have You've you made ever, it. Have you, <laughs> made, have you ever thought about getting like some sort of thumbs up stick of approval with your face on like that herb? Oh, don't give me ideas. This is dangerous. That's that seems like a really cool idea. Yeah, Adam approved. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Adam approves of this specific herb. Yeah. I'm anticipating a Master Food sponsorship on your your next car. Do you want to work in my PR? That'd yeah, really I actually good. I'm a PR major. Look at this. <laughs> There's a reason you were here, Adam. It wasn't for the podcast. <laughs> this is brilliant. Yeah. I like how you actually initiated with lamb. I mean, being Macedonian, um, that's that's kind of hilarious to me. Yeah. Um, this is going to probably question some people's uh, thoughts on the matter, but uh, my brother-in-law, who is Greek, uh, and I know they're vastly different, and, um, but yeah, he was talking to my brother Nick, who is the co-founder owner of Beyond Rest. And um, he, Nick goes, "Oh, I've become vegetarian. I've, I've given up meat, which he's now he's gone back to meat." I was going to uh, say, "You eat no meat?" Yeah, yeah. Well, this is what <laughs> Terry, our brother-in-law, said, and he 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 couldn't get his head around it. And he goes, "Uh, but lamb's okay, right?" And he goes, "No, but vegetarian." Like he couldn't accept that. He's like, "Yeah, but." Lamb's good, right? <laughs> like lamb's still in. That's that's like out of a scene of a movie. I know. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Jeez, yeah. that'd be tough going all vegetarian if you're any sort of ethnicity. Um, you know, Greek Macedonian giving up meat would be that's such a central part of well, my family anyway. Yeah, it's, yeah. Wow, good on him. Yeah, well, no, well, no, they didn't. It didn't last. No, oh, he's, oh, he's, he's right. back. He's back. <laughs> Um, I like we we're talking about dairy before. I'm like, oh, look, I could probably do vegetarian, but I'm not giving up eggs, so I'm not going vegan. I, I need mm. my poached eggs, mm. and I dig my dairy. Yep. So cheese, cheese in a burrito. Yeah, well, yeah, we discussed <laughs> this. Yeah, so no cheese in the burrito, but cheese on nachos. So 
Those, Why no cheese on the burrito, Ben? For no cheese on the burrito uh, is because it actually affects the flavor. It blends the flavor. So it, it brings it down. It blankets it. It, um, it covers it, if you will. Um, I don't know if that's appropriate terminology, but yeah, uh, if you put um, uh, cheese in a burrito, it, it affects the flavor. You take it out, all of a sudden you can taste every single individual flavor. And I'm a big fan of jalapenos as well. I like my chili, I like my spices in my burritos and, and all Mexican food. So that is a big thing. But I will have cheese on nachos. That goes without saying. Mm. So, I like that. yeah. So, if you, uh, everyone listening, when you do burritos, don't use cheese. Just stay away. Do it's like a- trying to go vegetarian with no lamb. You just <laughs> got to have that cheese. <laughs> the cheese has got to stay. <laughs> So, Adam, um, you've had a very interesting uh, career. I mean, you, you're quite young at 25 and you started go-karting. I mean, you started this whole thing at the age of seven as a go-karter, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, it's quite a cool story, the, the way I got involved with um, my father wanted to have a really close relationship with with me and he was always interested in motorsports. So um, he just – I came back from a, from a go-karting birthday party when I was in year two and um I apparently I don't even remember it but uh it might have been year one but I was really really enthused about it I loved it I kept bugging my dad to go back and go back and anyway so dad and I started going back and he tied it to my my schooling whereas if I talked too much during class my name would be rubbed off the whiteboard or the blackboard back then geez um and if it was on the whiteboard by the end of the week because I was a good boy we'd go go karting so anyway, we did this a couple of times and, um, you know, this spanned maybe three to four months and sometimes I missed out, but sometimes I went and kind of forced me to keep my eye on at school. Um, he said to me, he said, oh, look, you're starting to get kind of good. If you beat this lap time, I'll buy you your first go-kart. Mm. So I did and he did. And then we started racing go-karts together and we, we did the whole cute spec thing. So we had matching race suits, matching sticker kits, matching helmet. Everything was matching because it was just me and dad trying to have some fun and forge a good relationship. Dad and I. Dad and I. Thank you. Jesus. <laughs> Apparently second uh, English is my second language. <laughs> um, and that's all it was. It was just a way to spend a bit of time together and, you know, we used to travel. I mean it progressed, but we used to travel 35 weekends a year around Australia. Um, during school, during everything, because you know we we just enjoyed our time together. Instead of going to Levers after year twelve, I went to race um, in the championships in South Australia. Nice. Dad and I drove across the Nullarbor. Just something we loved doing. It just happened that I had a bit of talent, won some state championships along the way, and here we are. So when you went across the Nullarbor, which uh, do you remember the, the places you stopped at? Yeah, so we stopped at the the WA border. To start with, so we stopped at Kalgoorlie, um, then we went over to the border, we stopped at the border, and because I'd never been in the Nullarbor before, my old man used to drive trucks in the state, so he's obviously done it a million times. Um, but I don't remember too much about from there. I remember Port Augusta and then Adelaide, but I just got my L's, and it was the first time me driving a car. I was across the Nullarbor with the trailer on the back, and that's all I remember because it was like, oh my god, I'm finally behind the car. <laughs> you <laughs> so just, you just, you just putting your foot to the metal. Right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> maybe. <But> yeah, <laughs> no, I'm sure. Uh, officially, you were going the speed limit. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please yep. take note, all of Adam's insurers. <laughs> <laughs> and sponsors. Um, uh, yeah, I I, um, I think about the null- Nullarbor fondly. I think I conceived my first child on there. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I think that was Belladonna. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it's like uh, it's like this big um, dot on the map, and you rock up expecting something epic, and then you just see this petrol station that's a truck stop, and there so happens to be a museum next to it, like attached. What kind of museum? Like that was a funny thing. It was like a really odd museum. It was like talking about um, how camels. Uh, integrated really well into that particular environment and also how NASA had lost a uh, part of their uh, shuttle that landed in that area and uh, like they were giving $100,000 per square meter for like uh, each bit of metal that could be found and it was all around that wow. area and you see like a wow. photo of all these farmers like around this big sheet of metal <laughs> up with their thumbs up going, hey, we just won the lotto here. <laughs> No joke. It's actually cool. a thing. I was in there and I was um, I was with my uh, wife at the time, Liddy, and um, uh, yeah, there was like a motel part there, and I uh, had my dog with me, and and there was all these bikies there, and I was just sitting by the bar with them, playing pool with those guys, and it was it was a very interesting experience. It went from like, wow, this is a piece of crap to this is really fascinating. <laughs> like nothing makes sense. It's like a small melting pot. That's cool. <laughs> Sounds yeah, like I an like interesting that. little, you know, yeah. town. So yeah. th- there was that. No, also with the Nullarbor, I'm sure. I I assume you saw those those the two meter eagles, those massive mm. King Elvis, yep. no mucking about giant birds. Yep. Yep. They're Don't no hit them. joke, man. No, they'll pick up your car. Yeah, you you <laughs> drive slowly and around them. Like they won't actually divert yeah. from the road. They'll look at you and just go what. Yeah. You just kind of move around them. Mm. Yeah, right. They're quite big. Yeah. Yep. Freaking intimidating. Noted. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they, they got they've got a two meter wingspan and they're pretty much the size like um height wise, they're the size of the car. They they just look at you. Yeah, no thanks. Yeah. <laughs> like cause there's all these kangaroo carcasses everywhere. Yeah. And like as you drive by, you'll see all the birds fly away, but not not the eagles. They just look at you and go, This is my meat. Yeah. <laughs> Just walk away. Walk away. <laughs> or drive away. Yeah. <laughs> That's why Adam's such a good driver. Just think of the eagle. Yeah. <laughs> drive fast. <laughs> yeah. So you got into it, like you started at the age of seven, then you, you went from there. I mean, when yeah. was your first? I, I, I checked you up online and, and, you know, you've done pretty much every single um, course there is known to me. You even went on, you've driven on Phillip Island, obviously. Yep. Yeah, yeah, pretty much all the big tracks around Australia. Um, so obviously Perth, Barbagallo is where I kind of cut my teeth before I went national. And then, yeah, Phillip Island, um, Bathurst, Sandown 500, uh, Gold Coast 600 on the streets of Surfers Paradise. Um, Newcastle is a brand new one um, to, to finish the season. And, you know, you drive through literally buildings and, and when you're in the car, the, the supercar is obviously quite loud, but the noise reverberates off the buildings because literally skyscrapers, not skyscrapers like we know it, but Newcastle's version of skyscrapers, you go through and you can actually hear, even though you're in the cabin, you can actually hear the the sound of the engine reverberating off all the, the, the buildings. Then you get up to the top of what's called Watt Street and you start to turn down. There's literally 
the track, the barrier right next to it, and on the other side of the barrier there, sand. And you're that close to the beach. You're literally that barrier width from sand. Then you come down all the way down to the main straight again, and there's a big wharf. Um, this is sounding like a Mario Kart track. <laughs> <laughs> Rainbow Road. This is where they got their ideas from. <laughs> um, and you can hear all the big coal ships coming in, tooting their – well, not tooting. That's kind of underwhelming, but honking or blowing their big horns. Like mm, yeah, Exactly. That, that, that noise, whatever that is. That droning. And it's literally like that kind of contrasting thing in a track. Yeah. Same thing with the Gold Coast 600. It's party, there's beach, there's families. I'm so lucky. I've actually got to drive on all these tracks I've grown up watching on TV. and You are so, cool. so PC, dude. You just said there's parties, there's beach, there's families. Yeah. It's like I was thinking there's a contrast there. but Yeah, look, um, supercars might have ingrained that whole marketing thing into me just now. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, there's some choice memories from Gold Coast 600. None of it was family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's my, uh, like, I've, I've been a fan of Bathurst. I'm not really uh, uh, heavily ingrained in the in the sport, but I've always had an enormous respect for it. I, I remember as a kid, uh, once I think once I've watched the entire Bathurst and that was the one where, uh, oh, You'd know the name Perry something Perkins, uh, Larry Larry Perkins. Larry Perkins. Yeah. So I was a fan. I was following Wayne Gardner, who oh. was in the Coca Cola car. Yeah. Uh, I think he came second in that race. Uh, and and Larry Perkins, he crashed at the start and worked his way up through the ranks to get first place through the whole day. He just worked his way up and ended up in first place. It was just a great story. Just. That's Coming awesome. from last to first. Yeah. Uh, but I was the whole time I was just following Wayne Gardner, but you gotta give you props to Larry. Yeah. yeah, just slowly working his way through. And I'm like, I need to make a movie out of this right now. Yeah. Um, well, you've got Senna, you might as well have. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was a great documentary, by the way. Brilliant documentary. Yeah. And McLaren. Yeah. Very good. My yep. uh ex team owner, his dad, um, Stone Brothers Racing. Um, Jimmy Stone was actually in that movie, McLaren, and hearing the story firsthand because I used to race for that team last year, hearing that story firsthand of McLaren and he was actually the first one on the scene. It's All those past memories of motorsport is so fascinating. Like obviously yours with Larry Perkins and there's so much history there. It's it's awesome as, as a yeah. sport goes to hear yeah. those things. It's sensational. Great documentary. Spot yeah. on. And there, there's so many great iconic stories out there like you're – you know, Cronulla Sharks winning their first rugby league grand yeah. final or or the Footscray. I know they're Western Bulldogs, but I'll always call them Footscray. Yeah. Um, them, you know, winning that grand final a couple of years ago, they did mm. a documentary on them and that was a great story because they went through the wars that year. Yeah. And uh, once again, yeah. I brought that up with Josh Kent. Actually, it was really funny because as we were setting up the Wembley Beyond Rest Float Centre, Oh, we're sitting there during the construction. He's just come off the defeat of being knocked out from uh, oh. Footscray. It's um, all right now, though. Yeah, they're it's all right now. They're, they're yeah, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's still walking around wearing that bling. Um, and, you uh, would too if you could. Mate. I would. Yeah, I would. Yeah, <laughs> you've still got time. True. That's true. I'm looking for a different adventure. Um <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I brought it up with him. I'm like, oh, my God, how cool was that with Footscray winning the grand final, man? He just got this really sad look in his face. Oh. He's like, yeah. 
It's all right, <laughs> and I then suppose. instantly it just occurred to me, and I was like, "Oh, that's right, they kicked you out of the finals, didn't they?" <laughs> and then I realized what a douche I sounded like, yeah. and I'm like, "I'm sorry, man." <laughs> and just, that didn't help our relationship, but he's learned to appreciate me for who I am. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, that's brilliant. Uh, yeah, so like, I I think about your surname. Uh, I, I still like I keep rolling it around my tongue, Marjram, Marjram. And I think that would be a really good bend on like a, a legacy on a, a corner like Bathurst. You've got the, that famous chicane. Yeah, and yeah, And it's yeah. like you could just see him and they're coming around the Marjoram corner. Yeah, now that is, that is goals. That's what you need to work for, man. So it's- what you need to do is get them Ws up. Not <laughs> for the sake of your future or family mm. or anything like that. It's just so you can have your own corner. Marjoram's bend. <laughs> I'll take that. They got Stoner Corner at which is which is actually named after Casey Stoner at Phillip Island. It's not where anyway, but uh, <laughs> but I'm pretty Just sure Just go to that are, corner. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure people take advantage of that. <laughs> <laughs> they probably do when the track's closed for maintenance at late at night. Stoner's <laughs> corner. <laughs> but um yeah, exactly. I've got to get my priorities right. I don't know why I haven't been thinking of this my whole life. What like, never occurred to you? No. But you it has thought, now. You never thought about your own bend or own corner? No. No, I've, I've actually never thought. I'm like, but, hey, if they do it, that would be cool. This is what you need to work for. This is why you need people like me in your life. Absolutely. Um, the universe has provided me to you <laughs> or provided you, me, to, to help you with this. I'm just so grateful. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. In, in saying all that, like um, you've uh, – what – like, because we've we've met through uh, the floating industry, and, mm. and you float regularly, and so forth. Um, what, what sort of first? I have two questions. One, mm. um, what inspired you to float? What sort of got you into floating? I, I've I've heard through the grapevine that it was like a psychologist or psychiatrist yep. or something like that. But secondly, and more importantly, what is your priority and focus on mindfulness when it comes to everything you do? Yeah, absolutely. Look, are you dead right? Um, I was with a sports psych earlier this year because um, obviously there's a lot of demands on you as a driver, as a person. You know, I've got different facets of my life with business, with racing, with fitness, with everything. So, um, and and he used to, he actually was with the Olympic team, the Australian Olympic team in 96, 92, one of those. And he used to work for the AIS and they had their own flotation tubs, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, he, we were talking and we, we linked up every single week and he was saying, you know, this really helped. It was, it was great for, you know, um, promotion of muscle, um, repairing. And, um, he even instructed me, this is what you're going to feel in your first float, your second float. And it's about centering yourself and you don't want to have a mind full of clutter when you're in the car because you've got to make decisions so quickly. And so rapidly that you can't have anything between your thought process, your the stimulus and the thought process and the execution of that. And if you've even in your subconscious got a lot of things going on, a lot of drawers open, so to speak, it can slow down that that process. So he recommended I I come and um and and start floating. Um and ever since I started, I've absolutely loved it because it's a place where, you know, I run a lot of social media pages. I have a lot of different pools on me at the moment. And the great thing, if nothing else, is that I can go into a room, 
shut myself off from the outside world, focus on me, center myself, gather my thoughts up, and then just find, I don't know if it's the right word, but emptiness. And there is no real point in our busy lives these days that you can actually find pure silence and there's just nothing more calming. The first time I did it was a bit unnatural. I'm sitting there going, Mm. go through my email trains and doing all this. But once I run out of all my thoughts and shut them all off, it was almost like a problem-solving session for the first 30 minutes on my first float. But then the last bit of it, it was just pure relaxation. It was great to – I come out feeling really refreshed and I had almost a new perspective on what I was going to achieve from then out for the rest of the day. It was unreal. Loved it. And it's helped and paid dividends, I believe, in my personal life but racing a car. And do you do you apply different tools uh, when it comes to your your – your races like i mean do you you sit there and play that cars animation sort of movie like uh, owen wilson <laughs> and just go fast i'm i'm <laughs> more of a fan of talladega nights talladega nights yeah. <laughs> yeah that's where i Ricky get my <laughs> shake and bake yeah yeah wake up in the morning i just piss excellence <laughs> 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 uh, that's uh, a brilliant movie. <laughs> I, I do enjoy that one as well. You haven't seen it, have you, man? Uh, many, many, many years ago when you I was need much to younger. Refresh it tonight. I do. Dewey. Yeah, I watched Dewey Cox the other day. Dewey again. Cox. That's the same kind of crew. That's they replace motorsport with the music industry, and yeah, okay, the same, okay. same like a lot of the same producers and such. Same thing, just with music. Yeah, uh, exactly. Tell the Nights. Yeah, I dig it. I watch that. You watch Talladega Nights. We'll Deal. reconvene. Yeah. Actually, they're <laughs> yeah. they're just coming. Those two, John C. Uh, Riley and uh, Will Farrell, are coming out with Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, it's coming into cinemas very soon. I saw the preview for it. I was like, oh my god, I'm actually going to cinemas for this. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. Will Farrell on anything does well. Yeah. Yep. So with um with your um floating experience mm. and using it to optimize your racing. Do you find yourself when you're in that flow state of driving um, your car on the track, is, it, is there a similar kind of feeling when you're hyper-focused in that and all the thoughts disappear and it's purely you on the track? Is, it, mm. is there a similar feeling? Do you connect to that as well, yeah. vice versa, when you're floating? Spot on. Yeah, actually, it's the exact same but the complete opposite. It's, it's a hard I thing. I get what you mean by that, yeah. Yeah, because on one, you're, you're focused on nothing. And that's the kind of point with the floating is that you aren't focused on anything in a, in a sense apart from just yourself and what you're feeling in the, in the tank. And in the race car, you almost need to have the car as an extension of your body. So you're, as you say, you're hyper-focused and you almost need to get to that point where your legs are the, is the front of the car because when, when I'm sitting in the car, I can't see that I've got a bonnet. Uh, you just You can't see anything. You're sat right on the floor of the car, center of gravity. You've got bigger, a big safety cell around you, a monocoque tub, um, and you can't see anything. So when I'm following someone, I'm just grazing their rear bumper at 300 k's an hour or whatever it is, 280 k's an hour at that point in the track, you don't know. You've just got to feel that's where the edge of the car is. And we're talking three or four centimeters worth of placement at that speed, but you can't see even the top of your bonnet, you don't know you've got it there. You're sat that low. So in the sense, it's the exact same, but it's the complete opposite. So the hyper-focused aspect of racing a car is that you don't have, even if you wanted to, you don't have any thoughts other than what you're doing. 
because there's so much going on. Um, and this is probably why the floating has actually helped me so much is that because there's so much going on, if there's any clutter um, in your thought processes, then you, what you're doing is not going to be correct. Um, for example, and this might actually show a bit of perspective, is that the chase at Bathurst, the, the fastest point, you're coming down Conrod Strait, hard right into the, into the chase, you're flat out, you turn in at 299, 298 kilometres an hour, depending on reads, wind speed and, and direction. You turn it in, you hit the brakes, you've got to brake at 175 metres. That's your braking point. There is no board, you've got to gauge that. At that speed, you're travelling at about 92 metres a second. So if you're a second late, you won't be braking at 175, you'll be braking at uh, about, what? what's that, 80-odd metres. If you're braking 80-odd metres, you're not just off the track, you are in the wall, cars crashed, written off. At 300k now, you can't expect to come out of that good. Um, if you miss it by a tenth, you're nine metres past, or almost 10 metres past, you're off the road, you're in the gravel trap. When you've got that kind of stimuli rapidly approaching and you're hyper-focused, if your brain is not focused, if you're not 100% in the moment, then the the result or the, the negative result is quite big. So everything's got to be perfectly connected. So that's where the floating actually really helps me because it's the same but completely different, which until I you asked me the question, I didn't know exactly how to put it, but that's exactly how I'd put it. Great. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really good question, actually, because that is, it's not easy. It's not just going out there and going, hey, I'm going to go as fast as I can and just drive and, and do what you can. It's actually quite a scientific sport behind it. Um, you know, I've just done my study today for the Newcastle 500, and it took me five hours worth of watching in car footage, of data telemetry, um, of track notes, of everything just to compile my notes of what I need to do around the track, and I've got to remember that while I'm out there, as well as feel any new stimuli and adapt what I'm doing to, you know, gain half a tenth of a second, which will put you up three spots on the grid. Mm. So it's it, you've got to be so connected with everything. It's oh, incredible. Mate. I can totally relate from V8 Supercars 3 on PlayStation 2. Yeah. <laughs> full yeah, speed I was going to say Mario wheel. Kart for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you need a full speed feedback steering wheel, Matt. That's where you really step up your game. But yeah. I, can, I can relate. I noticed when I was in the zone and when I wasn't. Um, so I think uh, you and I are on the same page, man. Absolutely. What about the arcade NASCAR game? I thought oh, that would have been It's still around. Still around. Yeah, they've still got a time zone. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a heritage listed arcade. I was, <laughs> I was, yeah, Matt Matt and I, uh, we didn't cross paths, but we were, he was aware of my presence at time zone and I managed to get first place uh, in, on NASCAR while driving um, two two different um, cars, uh, so two different uh-huh. steering wheels because my children were on it and they just, they're five and three, so they're not that good. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm steering my foot on both accelerations, steering for both of them, got first place, and while staring at another woman at the same time. <laughs> I need this kind of focus in my life. <laughs> so I got, I got skills, son. And meanwhile, he, Matt, hang on, you can top it off. Uh, yeah. So you know those machines where it's like reverse Tetris. Yes. Yeah. I, I won that, and I won a Nintendo Switch. No. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. This is like a month ago. I was, like, I was, yeah, yeah. I was I was in that zone. I was, you know, I was on the track and I went in my my float flow state and I'm hitting the button. I'm getting the feel. It, like, I, was, I, was, <laughs> I actually, because as I got to the top, I had same thing as just like the, the pedal on and the yep. bonnet of your car and everything. I was feeling the button and the 
the tactileness and the responsiveness and the click. <laughs> got, hey, you laugh, but I'm the one with the Nintendo Switch now. So yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I just thought those were rigged. Like every time, like I thought I had good reaction times. I'm sitting there going, getting all the way up, and I'm literally at the level where you kind of break into that barrier to win the big prizes. And I'm like doing that, and you hit it, and it always goes one further, and it falls off the side. I'm like, man, this is rigged. But you have Not proved me. it wrong. <laughs> that's brilliant. Yeah. My God. So I know what you're talking about with the racetrack as well. Yeah. <laughs> We're so all experts. Here. We've been yeah. there, man. We've seen things. <laughs> so, uh, like all jokes aside, uh, did, did yeah. you, what sort of uh, mental preparation do you have to put into place? Uh, floating aside, we yep. appreciate that. That's awesome. Yeah. But what else do you do before the race, and maybe yeah. even after the race? Yeah. Look, I, I think it's it's mental is a is a big part of it, obviously. Um, being physically fit is is the other part. So floating I use is a big part of my preparation. That is actually probably, as far as a percentage game, that is probably the biggest percentage of it because wow. it's, a, yeah, it's, well, I've, I've found out. Um, I now put more weighting into that because it's a nice way to get rid of everything else in your life at that time and focus on, use that almost as a way to break free from the everyday life and get ready for this. It's like a nice bookmark, so to speak. And, and move on. Um, another thing I really love doing is obviously fitness. You've got to be really, really fit to drive one of these things. So I use that as almost meditation, cycling. do a lot of cycling and I find that is a, a really nice way to I, – I love it. I forget about every, every everything um, that I've got going on, go cycling. As it builds up closer to the event, obviously my preparation with um, – my notes, as I said, is is key. I even go to the point where I know what lap time I'm roughly going to do within a couple of tenths. I'll actually go and watch my in-car footage a lot, try to get into a rhythm, hit all my marks in my head so I know that I've got to do this, 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 list of maybe eight things for a corner, where I've got to break, how I've got to break, where the bump is, how I'm going to hit the curb, where I'm going to crack my throttle point, is it on the curb, after the curb, how's the car going to land, where do I get to 100% throttle? I will actually sit there, try to do it in my head as a visualization technique, try to do that whole lap in my head and I'll time myself. And if I can get it within about four seconds, I figure that's pretty good because obviously you're going to be going up straights and you don't think about your straight too much. You're just sitting there pulling gears. So I try to do the visualization, get it as close as I can, four seconds plus or minus. I've done it pretty well. As it gets closer, we do a track walk. So we start to figure out what's gone on with the track. Has it changed? Is there another way you can approach? You start talking with your engineer about what you anticipate the car's weaknesses will be around there because uh, every car's got its own characteristics and how it reacts with a certain tyre, shock package, strut package, everything, uh, springs, everything you got in the car. But then as we're going through the race meeting, we actually we suck the data out of the car and you cannot hide from the data. Um, if you're holding 30 PSI too little of brake pressure, like it will come up. And while that's nothing, it's only a couple of kilos on the leg, it makes a big difference to the pitch of the car. It makes a big difference to the way you retard the car in the corner. As we see these weaknesses in the data or relative strengths, I start making notes as to how I can improve. So session by session, practice one to two, two to qualifying and race and so on and so forth. I'll write these notes and then I'll try to re-visualize these and try to do them so that I instinctually 
uh, instinctively, sorry, do it. Um, no, same too off the start. I will obviously a start can go a million and one ways. This person can duck here. This person can do that. He can stall. He can get too much wheel spin. I try to imagine about four or five scenarios so that subconsciously they're already prepared. I just go straight to it. That reaction time's a lot less. So um, in terms of mental preparation for the whole race meeting, it takes a lot of different forms throughout the whole lead up and during. Um, sleep is crucial. The the biggest thing I can do to prepare is start to get in the time zone early. Everyone's got the advantage by living on the East Coast that they're already in that time zone. They've only got one hour of daylight savings depending on the state we go to. Mm. Perth, I've got two or three. And starting to eat at earlier times for lunch, drinking water, um, sleeping earlier, waking up, you know, doing all of that kind of thing, trying to get as perfectly um, – in line with all what I'm going to be doing on the weekend, that's key because, well, this year David Reynolds um, at Bathurst, he was by far the quickest track. He's in an Erebus car, um, by far the quickest driver, overcommitted, wasn't eating in a perfect routine, um, wasn't sleeping perfectly, and he essentially threw away the Bathurst 1000 win. While he was leading, he started to cramp up and he wasn't making the right judgments wasn't doing the right thing, slipped a second, should have pitted, um, should have probably done a driver change because he wasn't in the right frame of mind, made the decision to stay out there, which was a result of all of these factors that he hadn't done properly. Bit of Superman syndrome right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that because I like Davey, but yes, no, no, no you're dead right. It's a technical yeah. term. Yeah, no, no, you are dead right. You are right because – and the biggest thing is the team really – um, believed in what he's saying. I think that's actually quite a, a compliment to David Reynolds is that they've got such a connection that what David says, his feedback is so um, respected that they just believe him. They take it as not gospel, but they they have that such a good working relationship yeah. so that when he wasn't in the right state of mind, he couldn't make the right decision. They, they followed it. Um, unfortunately, that did cost him the win. Because uh, he was by far the quickest car all weekend um, and a very good driver, a really good guy, um, and that's the negative side of it. If you don't prepare yourself right, that's what happens. Yeah. And you can't afford that to happen because you've got sponsors, you've got uh, the team, you've got so many other people other than yourself, even though you are the driver doing it, it is a team sport and you let down all these people. You know, a lot of things ride on a result. So, um, yeah, it's quite crucial. I keep hearing the same thing. I read the same thing. I hear the same thing. And it's just fundamentals. It's so basic. Like mm. we overcomplicate things. But the key to success is your sleep, your eating, your water. It's just yeah. basic fundamentals. Yeah. It's easy to forget. Oh, yeah. We get swept up in life a lot. And just even finding time for you. And like go back 10, 15 years ago where you didn't have social media like it is today. You can't get a break from it. You're always ingrained in. Oh, your emails, your, your social media, your texting, your, you're always ingrained. Go back 10, 15 years ago, you wouldn't have had that. Just a disconnect. Focusing. Go home at five, clock off and yeah. that's it. I'd do that these days. <laughs> yeah, I know because I've tried calling you when something goes wrong. <laughs> I'm like, Dad, <laughs> 10, 15 years ago, man, you would know people's numbers. Yeah. Now you yeah. don't. You just you simply don't. click yeah. and just go, Barely know Matt, my own. Yeah. <laughs> Adam. Like, call Adam now. Like, 
someone goes, what's the, like, I was actually really surprised. I was booking someone in for a float today. I was booking in their husband. I was speaking to the wife. And uh, she goes, I was like, uh, so what's your husband's number? And she told me the number. I was like, whoa, you know the number? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, it's my husband. I'm like, even so. You must have a great relationship. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what's the key to success? I've only been through one divorce so far. I'm hoping I'll make it two. <laughs> Are you in a relationship at all, Adam? No, I'm completely single. Mm. Uh, With that crop of hair, man, I don't believe you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wake up like this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, um, no, I've been single for a couple of years now. Um, it, it's one of those things I think getting swept, you get so busy you forget. Yeah. I haven't even thought about, you know, if someone's there, you know, it's, you know, we've had, there's been a couple of people that have been quite close for a couple um, of periods in those two years that probably could have kicked something off but didn't happen for what the right reasons or whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I've been so focused on what I'm doing that it just, yeah, I'm struggling to find time. <laughs> Live by the car, die by the car. I was going to say he's, he's driving <laughs> the wrong vehicle, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get, you do get a lot of attention here and there, I guess, but, um, sometimes not always the right attention. So yeah, yeah, you, um, yeah, you learn to figure that out pretty quickly. Uh, it's, it's good. Uh, it's, it's nice to know you got your priorities, you got your values, things happen as, yeah. as they as they do. And then yeah. in saying that, I mean, what are your goals for the future? I, I think I already know where your intentions are. Yeah. Would it be F1? I mean, what, what do you envision for the future? F1 is one of those things that I think is firmly off the cards almost. Um, off the cards? Off the cards, yeah. It's one of those sports where, like, well, Daniel, uh, Danny Rick, I grew up, when I was racing around Australia, I grew up, Dad and I, um, Joe, his dad and, and Daniel, um, obviously, you know, we went to South Australia together and we used to race against each other and, uh, with each other and all of that. Um, it is so hard to get to Formula One these days because the dirty side of motorsport is obviously you can have all the talent in the world. I actually believe I'd be a better open wheeler, IndyCar, Formula One, any, I believe I'd be a better one of those drivers than I would be a tin topper, a supercar NASCAR driver. That's just my driving style, I believe is led more towards Problem is, is you're in Australia, so you're, you're a bit isolated. Yeah. Not really a problem if you've got enough money to just go buy a place in London or whatever in Europe or America or whatever and live off there. Um, but then you've obviously got to work through the ranks. So you've got, you know, you used to have Formula BMW. Uh, now you've got Formula 4. You've got Formula 3. You've got GP2. You've got Formula 1. You've got DTM. You've got all these different categories. The dirty side of motorsport is that unlike soccer or tennis or whatever where the only cost to your performance is tennis racket, footy shoes, food, a couple of airfares, a coach, you know, thousands of dollars a month, a car won't turn on without fuel, without tyres, without mechanics, engineers, hotel rooms, airfares, all of this. That money has got to come from somewhere. And there's two ways that can come is either you bring the money or they have the sponsors. Now, you can bring the money by having sponsors and they can meet you with sponsors and it all works out and everyone wins and you go racing. You've got to do that year after year after year to prove yourself, to get the opportunity to show that you are good enough to do what you can do, show your abilities. A lot of people don't get out from go-karting because they don't have that initial investment to go straight in 
and prove that they can do something for sponsors to come on board to race to build up. Problem with going international is in Australia it's, you know, it is what it is, quite expensive, motorsport. Go international and you've got to multiply that by 50. It is stupid. The the race cars are on airplane flights, left, right and centre. It's not just a truck, it's airplane flights. It's bigger teams. You might have a team of 20 around one car, you know, with such specific jobs because that's the level they're at. We've got restrictions on such things here, but over in Europe you're also competing with people that are third in line to the throne of Denmark or have got hundreds of thousands of hectares in England, like all this ancient money that they just go walk down, they fly their helicopter into the, the track, walk down to the ATM, withdraw a couple hundred thousand, go pay the team, go driving. That's what we've got to compete against. So for me, F1 is just way off off what is actually achievable. So it's not realistic. It's not like a lack of desire or anything yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's more so a lack of opportunity. So if Beyond Rest sort of funded you, you wouldn't say no? I'd be like, hey, let's go to F1. <laughs> let's do it. And, and, and that's honestly, that's where it comes to is um, it's all sponsorship. Even what I do now, if my naming rights sponsor Auto One pulled out tomorrow, I'd either have to find another sponsor, my team would have to find another sponsor, something would have to happen for us to keep racing. And that's, that's the dirty side of it. The marketing returns is far and above the, the, the cost that it takes to be in there, but sometimes management changes. And you don't have a say in that. Mm. It, it happens. You know, they take another direction. It's okay. We don't want to do motorsport anymore. We want to do AFL or we don't want to do any sponsorship. We'll go TV, radio. You might be doing everything right, but that's what happens. So when you're dealing with, and we're talking millions and millions and millions, like triple figures, well, no, more than that, tens of millions of euro to buy half a seat in Formula One for one year. Okay. So we've spoken about that. So where do you go from here? I mean, what are your aspirations? Aspirations, um, obviously, I want to be in the main V8 Supercar Series in the next couple of years. Um, I've done evaluation days with Erebus, with Davey Reynolds. We've been back-to-back. They know where I stand. Um, I've got a long-term association with Erebus through the V8 Utes that I used to race. Um, I think everything's on the right trajectory. It comes down to the opportunity presenting itself in the next two or so years to move up into the main series and hopefully win a championship. As for further than that, there have been drivers that have gone from supercars to NASCAR to Europe to all of that. Personally, I'd love to race in the German or the European version of Viet supercars, which is DTM, full aero spec. They're like a closed sedan version of F1. It's awesome. That's something I'd love to do. Um, but really, I'd love to, as long as I can make racing um, my passion that I've grown up with, if I can make that my full-time job more so than it is now, I'd consider that a success in, in, any, um, in any realm. So, Well, in a way, you, you already have with your business, business with Auto One. Yeah, in a sense, that came by completely, actually completely unrelated to where, the motorsport. Where, which Auto One is that? In Morley. Morley. Um, just up the road from the Galleria. Yeah. Um, I was still at uni. I was just finishing my racing uh, of V8 Utes, that kind of chapter in my career, going into the Super 2 series, the, the supercars. And um, with what I'd studied at uni with with business, commerce and economics, they said, hey, look, 
you know, you've worked casually in an auto one store, you, you know what you're doing and whatever. Oh, you worked there casually. Yeah, so you were. Yeah. I was actually a casual, kind of how it started. I used to be sponsored by Auto One Malaga. Did you get a staff discount when you bought it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, like when I was racing go karts, I used to get like chain lube and a bit of oil and a bit of, you know, bits and bobs from Auto One Malaga. And then I started working there casually at the end of year 12 through that summer break to, to uni, worked there like every second Saturday, uh, then started racing Porsches. Auto One came on board in a small way. Then Auto One gave me the opportunity to race V8 Utes. So that's how that kind of all worked. And then as a side bit of it, the store was in financial distress. It was actually losing money. And um, I jumped in there in December 2015 and, and kind of turned it around, analysed its fail points and processes. There was a lot of theft, a lot of internal theft. Oh, yeah. That kind of, that kind of chestnut. Um, as well as it on the retail uh, aspect wasn't making any money. It was actually losing money. So I went in there, had a look at it all holistically, procedurally, changed every single staff member in there and, and brought it back and did that for two years uh, free of charge and essentially doing that free of charge gave me a percentage ownership in the business and, yeah, now I work there in my own store full time when I'm not racing and doing the other jobs that I do. So, yeah, it's kind of cool, kind of cool. Yeah, internal theft, that's a – Definitely a big one. Um, Matt mm. and I uh, come from the retail background. We both came from the same company, and uh, yeah, in I'm I'm sure you can testify to it as well. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's just it's ridiculous. It's insane. Like uh, yeah. I I can't remember the statistics. I looked at this like 15 years ago, and or something like um, 90% of all thefts in a retail environment come from uh, opportunity. And it's something like 92% of all those thefts are internal. Yeah. Which is wow. just insane. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But it also makes a lot of sense. It's just. Well, it's the person you put in trust not to steal. Yeah. Ends up doing it. And when, you, when you're when there for you know, X amount of time, you start seeing the little Achilles heels or the loopholes or yeah. whatever and you're like, ooh. Yeah. yeah. The opportunity, as you say, opportunity presents itself because you can see the loophole. Yeah. I'm lucky now I've got. A great bunch of guys in there um, and girls. Um, I can trust them with, with everything so That's that when good. I'm away, mm-hmm. I know that they're doing the right thing by the business. They're doing everything um, because nothing, you know, it's a family business yeah. and I treat them like my family um, and they treat me like part of theirs. And, you know, we go out to staff dinners and we do all these cool things and we've got bonus. We've got everything going on to make it a real fun place to work. Good. At the end of the day. Yeah. You spend more time at work than you almost do your family these days if you work eight to five. Yeah. So you've got to make that environment just as good as your home environment, give and take everything. So no, it's been um, it's been really cool and uh, it's a different challenge. Something that I went into. I remember my first day managing a store. the The previous manager never really taught me anything about the procedure about anything. I was literally. First day was Boxing Day, twenty fifteen. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and I'm like, oh god, I'm being I've been kicked in the Ooh. deep end with no floaties. That's about as hectic as it gets. Yeah. So I knew how to sell a product. I knew how to do that, but I'm not a mechanic. Um, I had limited product knowledge because it was a casual kind of gig, but I knew my main things. I knew how to reference stuff and whatever. Um, and it was just like, okay, go. All right, it's time to close. Okay, what do I do? Because he didn't want to teach me. 
because obviously there were issues. He didn't want to teach me too much. So, um, yeah, to be able to go in there and uh, and learn and learn by doing and then trial and error and the best bit is actually putting in effort, and I'm sure you guys can attest to this, putting in effort to improve an area of your business, whether it's service, product range, pricing, and see it pay dividends in people going, you know what, that's a really cool thing. And it, sh- it adds value to the customer. So, um, yeah, very rewarding in a different aspect of my life. Obviously, my racing is my main priority, but to be able to do that as well, it was, um, it's yeah, it's cool. It's super important to put that positive intention and energy into that kind of workplace because that's how people respond the most. And like yeah. for me, I've been in those leadership roles before, not a franchise owner, but yeah. <laughs> um, in those roles where you're directing people and when you put that trust in them and, you know, that responsibility, people respond to that highly and they're yeah. much more enthusiastic and they, when they know that you care, yeah, you'll get so much more out of them yep. as a coworker and also as a personal relationship. And, yeah, I, I, I always, when I was in the leadership roles in previous jobs that I worked at, I always empowered them and just opened, the, gave them the empty plate, so to speak, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, they filled it themselves. Spot on. It's kind of like that. What's that saying? Uh, With the fish? The fish, the fish yeah. one. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure everyone listening knows that. I'm not <laughs> even, I'm, I'll stuff it up. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> it just seems like you're implying something to me, Matt. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm a very satisfied employee of the unrest. Let it be known, Ben. <laughs> I'm officially stating. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I completely agree. And that's the thing is that when I got there, the culture, I, I'd get into work for that, that month. I'm like, oh, another day at work. And you didn't want yeah. to be there and everyone didn't want to be there. Yeah. And it rubs off on the customers whether you yeah. know it or not. And now it's – a culture of, I don't mind if you make a mistake. If you make a mistake more than once and repeat it, then I start to get a bit um, bit angry. Yeah. But I would rather you ask them too many questions. Come to me with solutions. Don't ask, how do you do this? Think of it. I'm trying to encourage autonomous thinking. And, okay, how would you tackle it? Come to me with three solutions. I'll tell you which one's the best one. And learn by your own problem solving. And then you can figure out the right answer and I'll guide you the right answer. But I can't always be there. I yeah. can't always hold your hand and go, hey, this is how you got to do it. Encourage. I was, I was talking to Ben about, I might mean someone else actually, but um, about a um, similar kind of thing where there's a problem and you may, um, open it up the dialogue for them to come up with a solution. Yeah. And one of my previous jobs, we used to have KPIs. And we would have to set the KPIs like, you need to do five of this by the end of the day. Key performance indicators for those that don't understand the acronym. Yeah. And, um, like you need to get five of these. I'll just say it was EB Games, and you know, I need to do five um, game guarantees and ten pre-orders and such. And it was a real struggle motivating people to get achieve that goal. But yeah. if you handed them the pen and the pad and said, "All right, um, you come up with what your goals are today," I found they were so much more likely to achieve them. Yeah, because once again, you're empowering them to Correct. you know, um, you know, achieve to create and achieve the goal things. I think we were talking to. What was the gentleman's name that we interviewed at Junal Up on the podcast? Well, Paul, Paul Paul Holiday. Holiday. Yeah. yeah. Um, Paul Holiday, he uh, he um, does a similar thing with um, his young teenagers and he said, all right, you decide when you wake up in the morning and you decide when you um, go to sleep. Yeah, and, rather and than be a nagging Nagging father. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's found that they've responded so well to that. Um, and, you know, they, they are in control and empowered of how – you know, their day goes. <laughs> yeah. 
Ben, so, you laugh because you got two kids. Yeah, that, I'm, I'm laughing because yeah, my kids just get up. They just get up and like I was they're watching cartoons before you. Mate, you're I just taught them how to use the remote controller. Oh, <laughs> like, that's All of a sudden, they've yeah. worked out how to get to ABC Twenty Two. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, I was thinking about Josh Kennedy. I remember uh, I think it was last year we were having dinner and he was talking. We were talking about his daughter, and he says, "As soon as the sun comes up, she's up." And he's like even gone to the point where he's tried like duct taping like curtains oh, wow. and blinds all around the window. <laughs> She's ready to take life on every day. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lottie Ray tries to take on life every day. And he's trying to actually duct tape and just curtain everything up and try and block <laughs> out the sun just so he can get an extra hour or so in summer. Please. <laughs> Brilliant. I remember waking up and cheese TV. Cheese TV. Uh, but go. when you get up too early, the aerobics is on and you're like, yes. oh, hurry up, come on. They still do aerobics? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the Cheese TV enough. guys actually have a YouTube channel now and they do. Really? Because yeah, yeah. I'm up pretty early and I don't mind flicking on the TV just for background, for atmosphere. And I, no. Well, YouTube yeah, doesn't run on a time schedule. You can uh, watch it true. late at yeah. night, early You morning. can put your aerobics on early. No, 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 no. Yeah, you got to have the playlist. <laughs> yeah. You gotta, you gotta put it, make a YouTube playlist of aerobics and Cheese TV. I don't know. Internet, you know, it's not real time. So. <laughs> So um, with everything you've done in your life and, and so far uh, at 25 years young um, and where you're going in the future, let's say hypothetically if you were to, you know, something would have happened, uh, I don't even want to create an, an, like an example. Because touching I'm, wood. Touching <laughs> like where's the wood, where's the wood? Yeah, I, I realised that that's, anything I say is just going to stick in your head. So, um, uh, no, he's got to float after this. Yeah, oh, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, so like water off a duck's back. <laughs> so, if anything were to happen and you were on your deathbed tomorrow, uh, would you have any regrets? Um, that's a really tough question to ask. I'm, I think I'm a tough guy. He, apparently, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, Word on the street. <laughs> yeah. Don't come across you in a duck. I hand anyway. out pamphlets all the time. Yeah. <laughs> all serious. Um. Is a really tough one to answer. Um, I think, look, I'm very, very fortunate to be able to live a dream of mine that I've had since I was literally six. All I've wanted to do is is drive a V8 supercar. So I look at it on one aspect and I go, you know, even if I just retired or couldn't find sponsors tomorrow and I stopped racing tomorrow, as much as that would suck, I got to do all of this really cool stuff. Same too if, you know, if I passed away, I managed to do everything I wanted to do in racing a supercar. However, regret, you always, you've got that whole grass is greener complex. So for me, studying seven years at uni and not being able to go into that chosen field, um, despite having job offers, they didn't fit with my racing career, so I couldn't do it. I never got to sample that. I had the opportunity, never got to sample it. So I think that's a big thing just in life. You know, if you get the opportunity, grab it by the hand, uh, by the horns, and you know, go with it, run with it, see what it's like. Um, I don't have too many regrets. There are a couple along the way that I would have probably done a couple of things differently, or would have liked to see that other side of my career pan out, just to see what it's like. But by and large, I'm quite thankful that I'd actually say that I'm living every moment. Not as if it's my last, it's a bit cheesy, isn't it? But um, I am living every moment pushing towards a direction I, I definitely want. Um, and I'm quite lucky to say that I've had the opportunity so far to do that. 
hopefully it continues and I'll keep working my bum off uh, to do that. However, there's a couple of bits of sacrifice you've got to do in there. So you can't always go out partying when you're younger and drinking mm. and all that. So you do miss that aspect of things. But at the end of the day, that's what create, has created this career that I do have now. So regrets, limited. But, you know, you always have that. It would have been cool, uh, you know, to go. I didn't go to my school balls um, because mm. I was racing in championships. Um, that that was always national championship weekend. Year 11, year 12 was that ball weekend. So I never got to go to that. That's, I went to mine. You didn't miss much. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, that's so much cooler than a ball. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You made the right choice. Yeah. <laughs> no regrets. <laughs> yeah, no regrets. And the way you say it, it's like um, it's it's past tense, uh, yeah. like the way you, you bring it up. And it's like, well, hang on, you're only 25. There mm. is so much more ahead of you. Yeah. Um, so there's nothing stopping you from going back to that. So yeah. you're you're actually living in the moment. As you said, you're, you're very present and you're just taking advantage of every opportunity. Yep. So yes. that's great. I think that's awesome. Yeah, it's. I guess it's. You've. I'm lucky. I've got so many things going on, um, in different pursuits and stuff. That at the end of the day, you can't plan too far ahead. You have got to live in the moment and make the most of every opportunity you have. That's my biggest thing. I just want to maximize everything yeah. so that I don't look back and go and shoulda, woulda, coulda. If I did this, would this happen? Yeah. Obviously, I've had to sacrifice things to get to where I am at the moment. I.e. your year 12 ball. I.e. my year 12 ball. Obviously it cuts pretty deep for me to keep bringing <laughs> this up. <laughs> but um, at least I, I can live with that and I know what I've forsaken to get there. It's more, I guess, if you have the opportunity and you turn away from it because you, were, you shied away from it because yeah. you didn't think you could commit, that's something I'm afraid of um, because I don't want to look back and go, shoulda, woulda, coulda, if I died. Would I have wished I'd done that? So far, I can't say that if I died, I wished I went to my year 12 ball. Yeah. No, because that missing that was part of a bigger picture to get to where I am now. Yeah. That I'm totally okay with. I can reason with that. It's when I look at an opportunity, whether it's business, whether it's racing, going, should I should I do that? Oh, no, I'm a bit scared. Nah, look, I'll just go down what's familiar. Yeah, I'm not a bad guy. Yeah, it's so. break your comfort zone. Yeah, it's how you grow, it's how you learn, it's how you develop character building. It's absolutely. So I don't think I'd have too many proper regrets right now if I passed away. That's good. Yeah, that's good. All right, well, um, thank you very much for your time, Adam. We really appreciate you being here today. Thank you. Um, it's been a great chat, so thank you, very, uh, everyone, for listening. This is the Perth Reconnect at Beyond Rest.